Tom, it rained. It did, because we had Drew in the podcast. We recorded a podcast yesterday, which was Monday. When we recorded that podcast, in our defense, it was hot. And even though the forecast indicated that there was some chance of precipitation occurring. We didn't believe it. I think I even say on there at some point, it's not going to rain tonight. You did. And, and I guess it, technically it did not rain last night. It rained this morning. Correct. Didn't start at my house until after five. But it rained a lot. It did. So Tom's scrolling through his phone at all the, what are those, soybean A lot of those are the corn hybrid trial and the soybean variety trial locations and then the additional weather stations that are in the DREC group of weather stations. You know, something on the order of almost three inches in the greater Stoneville area. Yeah, we got three inches at Stoneville. At my house, I had 1.1 inches and a dead horse fly when I left this morning. So in our defense, factor that in as you're listening through the (laughs) podcast that will follow the music and recognize that that was recorded 24 hours ago, and we didn't have Drew back in on Tuesday because we didn't want it to rain on Wednesday. Correct. So you're going to hear the music play, and then it'll be a recording from Monday, whereas right now we're on Tuesday. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors podcast studio in Stoneville. It is a hot Monday morning in the Delta. Tom and I have Drew and Trent. Trent drove over this morning. Very special guest with Trent. His older daughter made the ride with him. Keeping up the kids visiting the podcast studio for the better part of the last three weeks. Yeah, we've had some more kids with daddies that have visited us, Trent, so we're happy to have her with us. Drew, you said it. We should have done this like a month ago because usually when Drew's on here, it rains. At least (laughs) forecast for Greenville, there is a chance of rain in the morning. That's right. Just looked at the forecast. No more rain dances. I did one in 2009. Y'all know how that worked out. It would be, what, three for three? Yeah, you've done well, man. You've done well. That could be my whole program. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> weekly podcast <laughs> making it rain that would be some strange magic you would be working up there dude yeah you just wave your hands at the next presentation and say not so worried about irrigation sensors i'm just gonna podcast and it'll rain that's probably not gonna happen no okay. i don't think so either i'd be willing to bet it's not gonna rain tonight and if it does it's not gonna rain not gonna that's right i think we've already talked about it too much just like yeah, a no-hitter. Yeah, no, it's, it's jinxed. <laughs> yeah, we, we've jinxed it for sure. So, Trent, I got a question for you. You know, I always got a question for you. And I always come up with – I feel like I always come up with solid ones when you – You know, I don't know how many times this. Drew and I sat in here together, but it's always me they ask the question of. I know. You, what's up with that? Do you come to mind? Happy to be here for you. What can I do? So, you said you had meet the teacher tonight? Sure. Yep. So, we we are currently – a few hours into our first full day in first grade and had a bit or well i got a text this morning from my wife that said hey did the lunchbox make it into school ooh 
I'm not 100% sure, so I walk out to the truck, no lunchbox. So, Tom, that was an example. You said on here a few weeks ago that text wasn't that great a form of communication. Pick up the phone and call somebody. That was a case of the text. Yeah, the text that, worked uh, in that situation. Well, I mean, the way I read the text was the lunchbox is in your truck. we got to go fix this. And it was just a – we were just double-checking to make sure the lunchbox wasn't in my truck. Yeah, well, it loses emotion and everything else. Text is just mm. – So all that to say, back to my question, Trent, because, you know, you are the – besides the little one, you are the youngest one here. So I figured you would have the freshest memories. So what is your – earliest elementary school memory my goodness yeah i remember kindergarten because we we dismissed at lunch every day in kindergarten nice and i guess that's what i guess that is my memory because we didn't have recess because we got out of lunch every day and and the just the changes now that i'm a dad watching the the full day you know when she was in kindergarten they had recess and school all day and after school programs and everything oh i know it's loads different now yeah so when you started having recess, uh, did y'all play football a lot? We did. Kickball. Kickball. Played a lot we of played kickball, kickball too. football. All-time quarterback. You ever play all-time sure. quarterback? I never was all-time quarterback. Well, that's because you were the all-star wide receiver. Maybe, maybe that's when it began. Drew's over there avoiding the conversation. Well, I've got some memories going through. First off, on the playing the football, I didn't think it was weird at the time, but we, we didn't get actual balls until, like, fourth grade. So we literally played with invisible footballs. On the playground. And yeah, and now as it's all going through, I was like, dang. You can imagine the amount of arguments and fights that broke out. <laughs> For sure. No, I did catch that <laughs> <Yeah>. ball. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I intercepted it. But we literally would with soccer and football with nothing. Just a bunch of blobs moving around, I guess, and fighting after in about and two see, minutes. And see, now look how creative you are. That's that right. is a great exercise of using That's your right. imagination. But my very first memory was in preschool that I remember, and I guess it had an emotional got, embarrassment, I guess, with it. That, that's life. why you remember it. But I walked in, so this is preschool, however old you are at preschool, walked in on Halloween, and 100% of the class had costumes on, and I did not. Well, dude, that's better than and you being the only it one worked that had a out. That's right. <laughs> that is true. Hey, man, I, I think about that like now. Like when my kids have to go in a costume, I'm like asking my wife, "Are you sure? Are you? Do you want to read that, that text message that, one more time and well, make sure yeah. it said this date?" So I and which was yeah. So I said it was the only one, which was a lot less traumatic than sitting there in the dinosaur costume and everybody being <laughs> in, in in their normal clothes. But my son is very. That's his fear. Is anytime there's a an event or something where they dress up is, are you sure that this is what we're supposed to be wearing? And he'll have to scope people walking out into the school before he gets out because his biggest fear is showing up with something on. I get it. Supposed oh, to. I've, yeah, no, I'm with, I'm with him a hundred percent on that. Obviously, since we have the two of you in the studio today, we need to be discussing things like irrigation termination and we're clearly approaching that particular scenario on the bulk of our soybean acres. Where are we or where do we stand general soybean growth stages, irrigation needs? I mean, it's coming fast. And so every time we get to this time of year, it feels like it can either speed up or slow down. You know what I mean? We've had those falls where these growth stages have just lingered and lingered and lingered. And to me, this time it's in fast forward. Decently low humidity on 100 degrees will do that for I you. I mean, it is just coming fast, man. So, 
talk about the, the forecast coming in here and even just a few scattered rains make a big difference on some of these fields. I, I feel like if we got some rain this week, some fields would be finished. What have you seen? I mean, I, I, so I was out on a field last week. They were making that final call, and I think I, – no, I did. I, I sent you some pictures of it, and it was getting pretty close to our 6.5, and that was the earliest field that I've stepped in as far as uh, getting getting to that closing point. What What's the ranges that – that you're seeing and, and where the majority of it starts to get? I think the majority of what we're dealing with right now is still approaching that R6. You know, we're, we're not we're not quite too full R6 as of today, but it's coming fast. And generally speaking, people ask, you know, what's the time frame? How long does it get, take to get from R5.5 to R6 or R6 to 6.5? And, and, you know, generally speaking, 10 days from 6 to 6.5, depending on conditions from our 5.5 all the way to 6.5 is, is more like three weeks, just a, a rough estimate. can be shorter, can be longer, depending on environmental conditions. But talking about this year and the weather and, and the fast-forward button that it seems like we're having is probably going to be a little bit quicker. So what is the catch with R6.5? So when we talk about lots of things but specifically here uh, irrigation termination our goal is to have adequate moisture available to that plant until it reaches true r6.5 so i guess we should paint a picture uh, of what r6.5 looks like so if you go out there somewhere in the upper four nodes of the plant pull a pod shell it open if that seed separates from that membrane on that pod wall you're at r6.5 if that pod membrane still sticks to that seed you're not quite there yet Back up ahead of that, this can be a little bit confusing. When you start opening the, the pod and, and you're looking for true R6, you're looking for basically square seed. So when you're approaching R6, that those seed will begin to touch. And then when they get to true R6, they will be square where they've pushed up against one another. And then on the back side of R6, going back towards 6.5, it'll start going the other way and start shrinking down in size. But the seed will be completely full. It'll be obvious in there that they're fat and full, and then the, the seed will be real shiny in, in appearance when you shell open that pod as you get to 6.5. What I've seen, just from my observations, is is when I'm working with a consultant or a grower and they're, they're growth staging that, that pod, I feel like they tend to go too far. I mean, they're looking at it to be R6.5 when most of the time, I don't know most of the time, but it, it's not quite R6.5. bulk of the time they're at R6 and yeah. they're calling it 6.5. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's, my, my that's my experience too. So then give us some tricks to look for, Trent, and you listed two or three as you were describing the growth stages, but just kind of put those together in a list. What are the tricks to where you know pretty definitively that you're and at 6 And start 5. with the foliage because sometimes you'll get a little distinctive coloration change in what your leaf tissue looks like. Again, there's lots of reasons we look for these final growth stages for different management decisions. But this time of year, the first thing I look at is the pod. To Tom's point, we will have various reasons that the foliage could change color. Uh, we could even have defoliation for some reason. Uh, that doesn't necessarily directly correlate to the stage of growth that you're in. So we got to get out into the field, and we have to look at the pods to accurately ID you know, where we are on that day. So, again, I guess I'll just start in order as we're, as we're you know, R5 is beginning of seed fill. So from R5.5 to R6, that seed is, is still growing. So you, you have – uh, seed that about fill half the pod at R5.5, and, and obviously getting to 6 would be completely filling that pod cavity. So when you're 
shelling open that pod, if there's a lot of white membrane inside of there, there'll be the membrane between the seed in some cases. You're still in the R5s there. You're not all the way to R6. So you do not reach R6 until you have completely full seed inside that pod. And the easiest way, again, to, to tell that is just to shell open that pod and those seed will be rectangular in shape. They'll, they'll have pushed up against its neighboring seed and there, there quite literally won't be any more room inside that pod because the seed will have filled that, that space inside of it. The trick to, from there to 6.5 is just being patient enough to, to see that color change. Again, the foliage will still be green. 6.5, you're still going to have a green field of soybeans. The pods will still be green. If you had an earlier variety sitting next to it for a visual comparison, you could probably see the yellowing tinge beginning to come onto the pod color and things of that nature. But if you don't have that visual comparison, it's, it's difficult to see. Again, the easiest thing to do is just to shell open those pods and look for that separation from that pod membrane. And the, the membrane will stay with the pod wall. It'll come off the seeds. That's what gives the seed the real shiny color you know, appearance. And I'll add, like, when you peel it open, it it'll streak some, as it's starting to detach from it. And I think sometimes that's – I'm not trying to get at why they're – wanting to call it a little earlier than it is, but it's a full separation where it stays with that pod. Am I right? That's right. That? Yeah. Because yeah. you will have some streaking where it pulls a little bit off of it as you open it up and it's yep. starting to detach with it. What Drew's describing, some of that membrane is staying with the pod wall and some staying with the seeds. That's the streaking he's talking about. And, and you want it all with the pod wall. It's supposed to go with the pod wall gotcha. and you reach the textbook definition. And so that could bring us to, you know, the other part, growth staging, knowing when it is, and then adequate moisture that we try to determine. Most of the time, it's not a straightforward, this is the call that you need to do. There's, there's, it's side by side, like most of our calls that we get. It's a situational, we get out and weigh out our options and look at it. And, and so, you know, sometimes I hesitate saying this one rule, general rule, but if you get pretty close to R6, you, you know, if you irrigate right at R6, generally that'll take you to R6.5. And so that's an easy rule that we can talk about uh, on being on the earlier end and just being done. If you can irrigate R6, it'll push you through. But you got to be accurate on that, that growth staging, and then it'll push you to R6.5. And if you're somewhere in between, those were the hard de- – I mean, obviously the hard decisions is should I irrigate one more time? Is it, is it going to make it through? And, you know, like a broken record, we always talk about using soil moisture sensors, but understanding what's available – in the profile and how how much that crop's using, how much the soybeans are, are pulling up and using, and kind of help determine or predict how much we have because uh, you can extrapolate that water use out several days and does it have it enough. To me, I, I don't want to hold off and wait and make that final irrigation too close to our 6.5. I would much rather do it earlier for many reasons. I mean, moisture, soil, it's harder to get in there that, that cause an uprut. So if we can push that last irrigation to be pretty comfortable or accurate on the front end and then let it, and let it be done um, earlier, that, that just helps us get in the field a lot quicker. You know, again, moisture sensors, understanding what moisture is available, and then growth staging are the two keys. It may help to give just like a couple of examples of you know, situations, and, and Drew already mentioned one. My, my absolute favorite example is when you nail R6.0 and either happen to need to irrigate that day or catch a nice rain that day because you can walk away from it comfortably Comfortable. and, and know that you're done. On the flip side of that, I, I don't know if you feel this way, the one I hate the worst 
is like R5.8. <laughs> you know, the seed are touching, but they're not completely full, and you, you've reached the point where you have to irrigate. Yeah. But that may or may not carry you all the way to 6.5. Yeah, That's which, a difficult one. Which brings you to the, those hard decisions Absolutely. when you're in between R6 to R6.5 of do we hold off? Can we make it all the way through? And because and the longer you wait, the 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 later you're going to irrigate into that growth stage, which could cause other issues. So that's what makes it difficult, right? When you irrigate that second to the last one, or potentially last one before R six. Isn't that decision a little bit easier if it's going to stay 100 degrees outside? It is, and then you you also have these afternoon showers that they kind of pop into the forecast too that can complicate things after you irrigate but yeah because it did rain some places on friday it just right. seemed to apparently miss the greater part of the delta but it did rain east of here and i'm not exactly sure where that was east of here as i drove through some puddles yesterday in some places tallahatchie county caught some rain we didn't missed all of it as you're describing these scenarios trent then what are the possible outcomes for either missing that last irrigation or using that last irrigation and you maybe didn't need it? I mean, I think you run a, some level of a risk of yield loss by missing the last one that's needed. So the one you describe where you're maybe at R5.8 and think you're at 6 and say, all right, I'm good. Like Drew said earlier, every every – field is every call is situational dependent but just as a general rule of thumb i feel like the yield loss if, if it was that close to r6 that you were able to irrigate i feel like your yield loss would be minimal in that situation if you missed one it'd, it'd certainly be a lot less impactful as it if it had happened earlier during r5 you know the closer you are to r6 when you when you get that moisture you know, the happier it's going to be in terms of finishing, filling out everything. And then on the flip side of that, if you have to irrigate again, it doesn't concern me too terribly much when we have a forecast of 90 to 100 degrees every day. But if we are a month later than we are right now and we're knocking on the door of September, I don't really want to put a whole lot of water out there, particularly on some of our heavier soils. We've had late years where we've had to make that that same kind of decision on terminating irrigation, even though the crop wasn't quite there because of calendar date, uh, running the risk of keeping things too wet to get our machinery in there and get everything out. Yeah, I guess a couple of years ago, that was the conversations um, that I was having and, you know, and, and pulling you into it as well. But it was the later planted beans. It probably needed another shot of irrigation, but the, the grower just didn't. I mean, adding water to, to the field on heavier clay soils and then already in the later and then the, you know how the rain forecast just starts to just never dries out They're, they were willing to be a little bit more risky on the yield loss front because of the lack of irrigation mm -hmm. water than than the risk of putting you know soaking that field one last time when it gets so close to the and back into the closer to fall so on that end your risk is more cost associated with that operation and then risk moving forward on the shape of the field exactly drew we always get you to kind of highlight what's going on with your moisture sensors in your on your own farm stuff so what are y'all seeing with those lately as y'all know it's been 100 degrees and hot and low humidity that tends to make less calls for me of when should i irrigate when well, we I, have that hot and dry weather i guess not so much that but the status of it 
in situations where we are yeah. getting close. Okay. Are the irrigation events that we've been using keeping it charged well enough to where when we get in these later situations, yes. it'll make those decisions yeah. easier? Right. I mean, and it just helps make the more confidence in your decision. If, if you irrigated R6, we typically feel like that's, and then that's the moisture sensors are showing that. There's staying moisture in the profile for those 10 days, at least that 10 days out. It's not, it's not depleting that fast on this back end to where you couldn't have a 10 to 15 day window of no irrigation, what I've seen so far. That's a good time to, you know, make a comment, I guess, on the, the overall use, you know, our, our demand that late in the, the, off. the reproductive cycle. That's right. Our moisture demands aren't near on the back end what they are you know in the middle part of the reproductive window yeah it's tapering off the water use so so what would be a frequency we would need to irrigate during peak water use is is stretched out at this time of the year so you also have that onto it i don't know if i could go walk through this but you're you throughout the season we're having triggers on when we want to irrigate and, and those triggers are based on how long it takes to irrigate around. So say that a, a, a well is going to take four days. So we need to be four days ahead of. So usually we're irrigating kind of on the front end a little bit earlier, quite a bit earlier than what we really should from a sensor threshold standpoint. But you change that mindset on your back end of that termination because if, you're, if it is your last, you just don't need those fields to get past our threshold standpoint. And so what we'd normally trigger irrigation, you know, you know, we're four to five days earlier, we just need to slide into home on all the fields on that last termination. So sometimes we can stretch it a little bit farther than what our visually or mentally we're having throughout the season because we don't have to worry about five, this one field, that last field has to be five days uh, away from it, if that makes sense. So you, you're, just, you're just balancing things a little bit different. And all of it, every decision that I'm staying out and talking with a decision maker or the grower it, it's it's those balances some of them there's nice clean irrigate right now and you're done but a lot of it there's like what y'all just discussed with the pros and cons you're balancing some of these things out and what's trying what's the best call for it the one thing we didn't talk about trent was really stress or stress associated with high temperatures what can a soybean plant deal with when it's R6, getting close to R6, can it handle days upon days of 100-degree temperatures? Yeah, I mean, it can handle it. So I think often when we when we think of temperature stress, corn is the first thing that always comes to my mind. But I learned this, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, we had one of those summers where every single night was perfect, like nothing we ever experienced in Mississippi, and we broke our state record yield that year. So certainly the, the the nighttime temperature impacts yield potential and i think that stress really it has the potential to harm yield potential even now but looking back earlier in the reproductive window it's probably just as important you know during flowering and pod set uh, as it is right now right now the the main thing that the plant's doing is using the roots to extract everything and sending everything to the seed so it can weather it obviously it's, it's a difficult thing to answer as to how what the impact could be because this isn't the first time our soybean crops been through you know extreme temperatures like this no so, and, you, and you can see the places where things are suffering my my the observations sandy ridges and yes. the fields that aren't irrigated and the places that we expect to see that happening where we can't get water on and then any crop. field that has any kind of root challenge yep. any anything where there's a root disease the nematode or, spots uh, are showing up nice right or now. compaction mm -hmm. you know anything like that so 
outside of that, yes, there there's likely some level of yield impact from it, but not to the to the level of complete drought and heat. Here's my physiology two cents for what this is worth, and it may be completely wrong, but I always think with those high temperatures, whether it's high afternoon temperatures, high highs, or high low temperatures, 80 plus, it's the pollen. Whether it's mm-hmm. a soybean self-pollinated, pollen's not going very far, something like corn, where it is, that pollen is moving some distance, I always associate problems with, from temperatures with pollen. So during that time when it's flowering, less so now when we're filling out grain or whatever the commodity is. And yeah, just generally speaking on stress, I guess, my number one concern for stress this time of year or at this particular set of growth stages is, is moisture. I mean, it, you know, every farm that has a non-irrigated acre has seen that one well-timed rain during R5 makes money. It, it absolutely does. So just having adequate moisture during that seed fill, there's no substitute for it. Thank you all. It's good to see you. Definitely an important topic and one I think we probably should cover more regularly. Good to see you all. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. Extension.